Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. Today we are talking about what you need to know about breast cancer and alcohol. My guest today is Stacy Devine. She's a triple board certified physician in family integrative and lifestyle medicine since 2000. While she loves seeing people treating diverse conditions, She became tired of surface-level disease management and longed to spend more time with her patients and go deeper into the root cause of their illnesses. She also wanted to focus on disease prevention and holistic health and wellness. Stacy has worked with many breast cancer survivors in her private practice and understands the impact of their treatments on their physical and emotional health. Integrative oncology and lifestyle medicine have a tremendous impact on their quality of life, and Stacy believes they should be part of standard care in survivorship. She created an online course, Thriving After Breast Cancer, to help breast cancer survivors heal from their treatments, reduce their risk of reoccurrence, 
and empower them to thrive. And we're going to be talking today about three myths that most people believe about breast cancer and also specifically talk about the link between alcohol consumption and breast cancer and what you need to know about it. So Stacy, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And this is a topic that I'm so passionate about. So I'm very happy to share this information with your audience. Yeah. And I think it's so important because I know when I was drinking, I was very aware of the hangovers and eventually aware that it was causing my 3 a.m. wake ups, but not really aware at all with the link to cancer and also not, oh, you know, I was a red wine girl and kind of bought into the idea that red wine was the most healthy kind of alcohol and was good for heart health or the whole, you know, French paradox of, of wine is good for you that was is decades old and has been disproven hundreds and hundreds of times. Yes, yes. And I think that's part that is still part of our culture, unfortunately. And I still see things online where people are promoting red wine for health. And that is something that we really need to change. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that, you know, this is not to shame anyone. Trust me, I drank a bottle of wine or more for like, many, many, many years. But at the same time, I think information is power. And the fact that and we're going to talk about this 70% of women do not know about the link to cancer is, you know, malpractice. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. terrible. Yes, I agree. I think information is helpful. And I tell people that all the time, there is no shame or blame in this game, even for people that have been diagnosed with cancer, we can never pinpoint exactly what specifically led to that. But we can educate people about their risk. Uh, risk yeah, is never absolutely. a guarantee, but we can yeah, definitely and educate you, them about that. You can get breast cancer for all the reasons, whatever it is, but it is important to know if you're drinking a lot of alcohol, what the impacts might be on your right. risk because everybody knows that smoking causes cancer. I mean, I don't think that there's anyone out there now who is like, oh, no, smoking's good for you or smoking is harmless. People choose to do things all the time that's bad right. for you. And that is obviously your choice. But just to not even understand the impacts, I think, is is dangerous because I think a lot of people might make different choices. I agree. I agree. And I think supporting people in making those choices as well. So the information is part of it. But also then if people are saying, hey, I really I may need help with this. This is something that I struggle with. Um, because obviously, in my line of work, sometimes our people are using alcohol, sometimes to treat things like stress or anxiety or other conditions in their life. And so in order to help them reduce their use, we, we may need to have that discussion as well as not just go and stop doing it, right? But how, what can we do to help you so that we're not using it for that same purpose anymore? And how can we help you kind of treat some of those symptoms that you might be having without alcohol? Yeah, absolutely. I know. I have definitely heard of people who even drank during their breast cancer treatments. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the important thing also, and I, I try to say this in most episodes, is that alcohol is addictive. Like if you are having trouble giving up alcohol or moving away from alcohol or 
you know, feel this emotional, habitual, physical pull to drink, that is not your fault. That is the substance working as designed. And so you may need support and help to move away from it. And that is completely okay. Mm -hmm. Yes, 100%. All right. So let's dive in. I know we talked a little before we started recording and you were going to talk about three myths about breast cancer that are important for every woman to know. And the information you provided was just fantastic. Great. Yeah. So let's start with the first ones because I think a lot of people think that breast cancer, the majority of cases are genetic. And that is just not true. I cannot tell you how many times before I start a conversation about breast cancer risks or even with a breast cancer survivor that they'll say, I'm just so surprised or I don't have any breast cancer in my family. I don't almost like I don't need to worry about it. And that's just not true. 85% of women that are diagnosed with breast cancer do not have a family history. So the majority of women that have breast cancer, that is not part of their history. So we need to kind of change that topic right now and understand that all of us, it's a sisterhood of women that we need to protect each other and understand that this is not necessarily, there is a gene now for breast cancer that's been identified. So BRCA1 and 2, um, but that's only 5 to 10% of cancers, of breast cancers. So Again, this is something that it's important now we talk about some of this genetic testing that we have, if we have, like, if we know that there is this family history, but the majority of women, this is not going to apply to them, and they still need to understand their personal risk for breast cancer and what they can do to help prevent it. So I have a question. I know mm -hmm. that if your mother or your aunt or various people in your family or your sister have mm -hmm. had breast cancer you may get tested more often, even if you don't have the BRAC. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. So there's about five to 10% are that, that BRCA1 and 2. And then there are about 15%. So if you look at that 85 that don't, about yeah. that 15 have, they don't have a gene, but they do have a stronger family history. So they may, you may hear that history that like, oh, my mom or my aunt yeah. or my two cousins. Um, and then obviously they still sometimes, again, that's kind of dependent on that patient, but they may decide to do genetic testing or not. And they may decide on different screening protocols for those women because there is that genetic or potential family history link, but 85% yeah. don't have it. And that's really interesting because it's kind of similar with alcohol in that it you hear that, oh, 80, you know, hey, my mother, my aunt, my cousin had breast cancer and, you know, you need to or you should get tested more often. The assumption is if you don't have that, it's not a big deal then. Yeah, sure, you should get tested, but like, not that often, and it's no big deal. And so in the same way with alcohol, people are like, oh, there are those people who have an issue with alcohol, they're physically dependent, they're, they have this stuff, and there's everyone else. So mm -hmm. like, if you're not in that category, don't worry about it, just quote unquote, drink responsibly. And I do feel like that's kind of similar with breast cancer too, right? Yeah. And I think, so I also think people don't understand the scope of this problem. So if we take out basically non-melanoma skin cancers, breast cancer is the most common cancer in the world. 
There will be 300 estimated 300,000 women in the U.S. diagnosed with breast cancer this year. Mm. That is a lot of women. Um, so, you know, when we talk about that stat of one in eight in your lifetime is the risk of developing breast cancer, this affects a lot of people. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know anybody that doesn't know somebody that's had breast cancer. I mean, it is oh, very, yeah. very prevalent. And this is where this education piece comes in, as you, as we already talked about. People don't understand some of these myths that we're going to talk about today about their own personal risk, but also things that, again, they, they need to be educated about what they should be doing. So, um, so yeah. a lot that we need I mean, to really I know change. so many women who've had yes. breast cancer, including good, good friends from college who were diagnosed when they were 40 years old, friends from high school, my mother-in-law who was diagnosed much later, local friends. Like I know so many women who have been diagnosed and treated for breast cancer. Right. And we do know that. So the average age right now is, is around 63. But unfortunately, there's a kind of disturbing trend in, in cancer, unfortunately, that there are more and more younger women, as you stated, being diagnosed and not just with breast cancer. We see that even in colon cancer as well. And so that's why sometimes these recommendations that people always kind of get upset when they're like, well, why don't we change it again? Um, because there's more and more information. And obviously, we, we kind of see this change over time. I'm also personally very concerned about the potential increased risk because of COVID. Um, personally, when I've talked to patients, a lot of patients we're drinking a lot more during oh. COVID. And I'm very concerned that now the next kind of wave of data that we get, we're going to see this uptick in breast cancer. I don't know that. Again, I'm not a researcher. I just talk to patients one-on-one, -on -one, but that's what I've heard is, oh, you know, I was working from home. I started drinking more, it kind of became a pattern, you know, and I'm just, I'm very scared about what we may see now for the next few years after this to see, you know, because of this potential change uh, in drinking habits. Yeah. And that's the other thing, right? People think that a lot of times drinking is not a big deal, right? You buy into the idea that like, oh, you know, for men, it's two drinks, you know, a day, 14 a week is, mm -hmm. is recommended. That's mm -hmm. the recommended amount, which is insane. And for women, it's one glass a week. So, or one glass a night. Mm -hmm. So seven a week. They just changed that. They mm -hmm. just started saying that no amount of alcohol is safe or definitely not recommended. Right. And of course, you know, whenever I went to a doctor, I'd be like, you know, you have to fill out the form, yeah. like a couple glasses of wine a right. couple of times a week. I mean, at my worst, when I wasn't trying to moderate, I was drinking like nine bottles of wine a week, which yes, is insane. Mm -hmm. But it's not that uncommon. You know what I mean? I'm not that much of an outlier from mm -hmm. many, many, many women. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right, right. And then I think there's a lot of these women that again, buy into the moderation is fine, right? That one drink a day, if I do that, I'm fine. And we're going to talk about the stat that unfortunately does not show that their risk of breast cancer is not increased. It is. Um, so that one drink a day increases their risk. So um, even for the women that are not drinking bottles a day, we're talking about that just, you know, even not even daily use. Um, yes. So so it is, it is, it's uh, unfortunately with breast cancer, it is a, what we call a dose response the more you drink, the higher your risk. And there is not a zero um, unless you're not drinking. <laughs> so, so that's. Is that myth number two? 
Yeah. So I think we'll talk about that. So myth number two is that whole like the, essentially that this moderation thing that ever, I think a lot of people use um, to talk about things like in their diet and other things, everything is moderation is key, right? And unfortunately, with alcohol and breast cancer specifically, that's really, you know, if we look at what the what the words are for what moderate drinking is, it is exactly what we just said. But unfortunately, that is not risk free. It does have an increased risk of breast cancer. So um, you had shared an infographic that um, that basically kind of said this, you know, it's like basically three to six drinks per week. Um, so obviously, that's not even that's almost every other day in one drink. Um, it does increase the risk by 15%. So that's, that's pretty significant. Um, you know, that's, that's not that's not the bottles. Uh, that's people that are literally saying, Oh, yeah, I'm just, you know, I might be having a drink Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, that's it. Um, and some of the studies, I mean, I, I think the other thing I like to talk about is in the United States, of course, we supersize everything. Um, you know, a lot of the studies about alcohol, they, uh, you know, we use kind of ounces, everyone else in the world. Uses oh, my God. Grams, yeah. Right. So it's very confusing sometimes when you're looking at some of the data, like, okay, well, what are we looking at here? Um, they look at five ounces, which is equivalent to about 14 grams. But some of the other studies use the standard of 10 grams, which is even less. So for us, if you poured three ounces into a wine glass, that's what that actually looks like. Um, for most people, that is a yeah, very, that is small, a very small pour. Um, it, right? right. It's a small pour. Um, and then to say a half a drink, which is also some of the things we've seen, a half a drink a day still has that risk. You're talking about five grams a day. I mean, it's literally a splash in your glass. Um, and that has been associated with with increased risk. So um, so again, I think that's where people need to understand that this moderation in breast cancer, really, that's that's not in alignment. So we, yeah. need, to, we need to change that. We need to, so we need to, to say to- that again, you know, and I'm looking at some of these studies right now mm-hmm. in the graphics, women who have three alcohol, alcoholic drinks per week, have a 15% higher risk of breast mm-hmm. cancer. Is that mm-hmm. right? That's correct. Yes. And I've also heard that for every glass above that a week, you increase your risk of breast cancer by an additional 10%. Is that true? Yeah. So that's that dose response. So basically, it's, it's, it's kind of like a trajectory line that basically the more you drink, the higher that risk goes. So um, same thing. There isn't like a end point that's like, oh, no, it's like, once you get, get that, we don't see any more. No, it's the more you drink, the more the more it goes up. Um, and, and same thing, like I said, even that the fact that three drinks a, a week, um, for a lot of people, that's just the weekend drinkers, right? They might have one glass on, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that's an increased risk. Oh, my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48. So if you're going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep, it is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, 
you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H dot com. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy, but one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday. Yeah. And of course I'm cringy because I'm like, what would the risk be if you did like, I don't know, 30 to 40 classes yeah. a week? I don't think I want to know, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. So, so again, I think this is where it's helpful for people to understand, um, you know, and, and again, like you said, some people may not, and I definitely, I've counseled patients that are like, I'm, I'm not willing to change. I understand the risk, but I, I want to continue. Okay. Okay. That's fine. Right. You know, but I think some people are shocked when you give them that information because they have, you know, told that line like, oh, well, one glass, especially when it's red wine, that's actually good for me. Right. Already. And then they're like, you mean it increases my risk of breast cancer? You know, they're very surprised. And so I think it gives them the opportunity to make that decision. Yes, absolutely. And the other thing that um, I was looking at and we were talking about before is the American Society, and I'll put all this in the notes, of clinical oncology did a survey about, you know, National Cancer Opinion Survey and their findings. And they found that only 30% of Americans identify alcohol as a risk for cancer, whereas 78% uh, identified tobacco use and 66% identified sun exposure as a major cancer risk. So that's crazy. And I honestly think, well, I know that is by design, right? Big alcohol has extensively lobbied the government to not include cancer warnings on alcohol, right? Mm -hmm. When you look at at uh, tobacco now, I went through the duty-free and, you know, they have those big packages of tobacco and literally in huge letters, it was like, tobacco causes cancer, mm -hmm. tobacco causes lung, you know, lung cancer, lung disease on alcohol, the only warnings are like, drink responsibly, don't drink while pregnant. They're, and right. again, what that makes you think is, 
for everyone other than pregnant people, this is innocuous. There's no issue here. Right. I agree. And I I think that's something that's got to change. And I think there is like, you know, differences amongst countries about their education about alcohol for sure. Um, and you can actually see that some, some of that knowledge is, is different based on that again, based on education. Um, so that's where, you know, we, and that's why I said, I think your listeners deserve to know this information, um, because it's not being kind of shouted as loudly as it should be here. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I would love for that to change. I would love for and that to change. And in Ireland, I think last year, they voted to put alcohol warnings on individual, you know, individual items of alcohol that you purchase that literally say alcohol causes cancer and a couple other things. And the alcohol industry is up in arms. They want some differentiation between beer and wine and spirits. Like, sure, vodka might cause cancer, but not red wine. I mean, Italy, the entire government and the wine industry are very upset, literally saying, if people know this, they will stop consuming this right. substance. And it's like, yes, <laughs> hopefully they will. <laughs> that is the hope, right? That is yeah. the hope. Um, yeah. That or they, I mean, at least reduce, right? So yeah. I think that's the other thing is maybe not everyone is going to be completely um, avoiding, but maybe people will definitely reduce their consumption and have a, a separate thought about it, um, yeah. you know, knowing this. Or at least believe it's, help, stop believing that it is actually good for you. Yes. Yes. And so that was, uh, there was a stat that I found. So again, I was kind of prepping there. Are, there are lots of those um, kind of organizations that do those, those research things. I think they're very interesting because obviously you kind of see the, the trends, the mm -hmm. infographic that you shared with me about that one that you just said, that was about 30%. They've redone it. So that was from 2017. They redid it like three years later to be like, okay, is, you know, are we getting any better? It went up to 34%. So it's still, we still have a lot of room to grow there. But one of the organizations I thought um, it was really interesting because they asked that question about the link between types of alcohol and cancer. And more people believe, so it was like th that 30% was really about like um, hard liquor uh, yeah. was attributed to cancer. Only 24% thought there was a connection between beer and cancer and even less. So of course, wine is always again touted as the, the health food, 20%. Um, and the sad thing was the one study that, uh, like I said, this one blew my mind, was that 10% of this these people thought that wine actually reduced their risk of cancer. So we're not talking about heart disease, right? We're, we're yeah. not, not talking about that, that you know, the, the touted benefit that's been out there, but they actually thought it reduced cancer. So, you know, that's 10% of this whole study that thought that. So that's concerning as well. Um, so and that's where, um, you know, when, when I've done social media posts about cancer and, and alcohol, I specifically use a picture of red wine for that reason to say, mm. like, we've got to stop saying, like, this is a health food. Like, it is, it is not. Um, it's and time to the, put that what's one to the rest. blowback on that? I mean, yeah. Um, so, that's the interesting thing I will say for your audience. Uh, October is coming. Those posts will be coming back for, for breast cancer awareness. Um, and I did. I got some pretty nasty messages. Um, I also got the most messages ever about share your data. Show me the studies that they are almost like, don't believe me, you know, that I'm like, you know, again, that I'm, you know, trying to spread rumors about alcohol or something that aren't true. Um, and, you know, some people were really kind of nasty in the DMs, like, you know, don't take this away from me. 
kind of thing. Like, you know, this is or scare tactics and that kind of thing. And I think exactly what you brought up before tobacco is now like no one has no one's ever said that to me about tobacco. You know, no one says that to me if I talk about the benefits of exercise. People like they might not be doing it, but they know it. You know, they know it's good for them. Right. But alcohol, people are like, what are you doing? Like, this is not true. Um, it's yeah. good for me. And, you know, I'm going to keep keep doing it. And they really they're they're angry about it sometimes. So. Um, so, again, yeah. that's where I feel like obviously we uh, we need to change some some thoughts about it. Um, yeah. Because it is, you know, people still well, don't. And you kind of believe what you want to believe. And, and again, not <laughs> right. judging. I mean, I remember when I was pregnant with my son, first son, he's 15 now. One of, you know, I had the impression because my friends told me and I had heard this and you hold on to whatever data <laughs> supports what you want to do that, right. you know, it was perfectly fine to have half a glass of wine once a week in your third trimester mm-hmm. of pregnancy. And I mentioned that to my my doctor and she was like, yeah, that is not true. And how would you feel if you're drinking that impacted your baby in any way? And I was pissed. I was like, fuck you for yeah. saying that. Like, How dare you guilt me, you know, X, Y, Z. And I mean, I get it. I get it. Like, you love the impact of alcohol. We think it's the way that we relax and connect. And it's a privilege of adulthood. And I mean, I think most people know, don't drink when pregnant. There's a big stigma. I mean, you can't like, order a glass of wine when you're clearly pregnant at a restaurant, like without people being like, what the hell are you doing? You could take a sip of your friends. Sure. But like, you know, it's, it's socially unacceptable to do that. But everywhere else, alcohol use is encouraged and sanctioned. And, you know, you're almost pressured to drink. So yeah, you're asked why you're not, (laughs) you know, like it's something, you know, you have to explain. Um, But yeah, I I do. I think there needs to be change about that. But obviously, the fact that there is that much pushback, um, first of all, tells us that the education just still isn't there, because there's a lot of people that don't believe it. (laughs) So so we do need to do better a job about that. And I think if that comes also from multiple sources, I think that's also helpful. So that, you know, obviously, that there are other organizations that are kind of trying to spread this word, but also one-on-one with with hopefully a provider that you have built a relationship with and you trust, um, that information sometimes can mean a lot more when they say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm really worried about this for you. Um, I can tell you just being on the other end of that conversation, and I might start to cry because it gets me every uh-huh. time. It is a, I obviously it's, it never compares to what that person is going through. I'm not, I'm just going to say that, but to have to deliver that type of news to someone is a horrible part of our job. You know that there is no sugar coating. There is no way that no matter how much empathy you have in that moment, eye contact, body language, that what you are telling someone when you have to tell someone that they have cancer, that you are not dropping a literal bomb onto them. Yeah. You did. And and there's nothing that can and you will you know that that moment will forever that person is forever changed from that conversation. That is not lost on me. And it's and if our conversation today terrifying. can help me and you and other people listening understand that there are things that people can do to reduce this risk. I would love to see these numbers come down. Yeah. Yeah. 
And not only that, I mean, I honestly was, was terrified and I'm, I'm sure I still am. But when I was drinking, I mean, one of my big fears was that I was going to, you know, mess up my family and my kids and my health. And Mm -hmm. it was going to be my own fault. I mean, I had dreams about being diagnosed with like liver cancer and being like, how am I going to explain this away? Like it is Mm -hmm. clearly due to my heavy alcohol consumption. But that's not to say that anyone who is diagnosed with breast cancer or going through treatment or a survivor, like don't, you don't need to blame yourself for anything you did in the past. Like honestly, no, no, no. No, because like I said, there's no way we will know that impact. I mean, there, there's even studies now they're looking at things that is potentially even a generation before you. So like exposures yeah. that your mother had that could have contributed to things. I mean, so like there's so many things that we cannot control. Um, but even, even still, I mean, obviously we do the best sometimes with the information we have in the moment. Um, sometimes that changes over time, but that doesn't mean now you can go backwards and we can't judge that. Um, and again, we don't, we don't want that anyone to feel that way either that we're, that we're judging or blaming because we are not. Um, yes. And a lot of this information truly was not available. Um, I think that the American Cancer Society just and you'll correct me in 2020 changed their guidelines to say, no amount of, I mean, literally three and a half years ago before they said the recommended, I mean, I'm still, I'm still amazed the word recommended was used was seven drinks a week for women. Mm -hmm. I mean, so, you know, absolutely not anyone's fault. And one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on is to talk about what you can do. You're listening to this now how you can take care of yourself better. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's really important. And I do want to say too, that like that, some of these studies with alcohol, they're not even 10 years old yet. So Mm -hmm. that's part of the issue is like some of this data obviously is, is still coming in. Thankfully they are doing research on this stuff, but some of this stuff is, is pretty new um, obviously. And that's even changed. So I've been a physician over 20 years. This information wasn't even available when I trained. So, you know, thankfully I've kept up to date with, this is a a passion of mine and interest of mine. So you might ask somebody that was trained a while ago, are they even familiar with some of this stuff? And they may or may not be. So uh, that's the other thing. I mean, I think we even need not even just the average public, we need to train even healthcare providers about this, just like with your questionnaire, you know, if you see something with, um, you know, this amount of alcohol on there, are we having that conversation about cancer yeah. risk? And by the way, the like five ounces of alcohol, I mean, I am sure I had double that right. in every drink. I mean, I think I've definitely gone to bars and this is the bars I used to love where they would like, would you like an eight ounce pour or a 12 ounce? And I'd be like, right. oh, baby, give me the 12, right? 12, that's, you know, two and a half times. Yeah, I, so I literally class. did an experiment in my house that I I have these nice stemless kind of fatter. I I loved red wine, right? So that was something yeah. I enjoyed. So I had these fat ones, right? That and I was like, I'm just gonna see, like, what does three ounces look like in that container? <laughs> and it was like barely covered the bottom. And I was like, yeah, that would not have been how much I would have. 
afford for myself. So, oh my god, I, that's I the was other like thing when you're up to like yeah. two thirds of those giant. I mean, plus they give you the bigger glasses for red wine. Right, right? red wine is the fatter ones, right? For In the, theory, the aroma, breathe or whatever the fuck. It's <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, I think that's the other thing is if you're, you know, if you're pouring yourself, the the one standard drink is usually not what you think it is. Um, it, the volume is not the same, and so I think you know, even just pouring it out yourself, you can you can see it. Um, what, what that actually looks like. But, um, yeah. so yeah, so I do think that's, that's important information for people, people to know about as that's really what it is. It's not based on, so, you know, if you pour a big pour that just because it's one glass, it doesn't mean that it's not the same amount as three ounces or five ounces, what we're talking about. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so all this is to say that, you know, there is a significant risk cancer risk associated with alcohol. If you have three or more glasses a week or three glasses a week, um, three drinks a week, uh, it increases your risk of breast cancer by 15%. Every drink over that raises your risk 10% additional. And it doesn't matter what kind of alcohol it is. It can be whiskey or vodka or tequila or wine or beer, right? Mm-hmm. Alcohol is alcohol and it's a carcinogen. Carcinogen? How do you say that? Yeah, carcinogen. Yeah. Right. So it doesn't it doesn't matter the type. It, we're just talking about alcohol as a whole. Um, and so again, I think that's important for people to understand. But so you mentioned like what can we do? So first, yes. let's before we move to some of the things that we can do because I love that's one of the things that I love helping people with is what can we do? Right. We want to take action on some of this stuff. But I do like people to understand their personal risk. So, and this is something that you definitely can evaluate. So there is, uh, there's a, what we call a professional tool. There's lots of different tools sometimes as, as physicians that we may use to help estimate risk. Again, this is never a guarantee. It's just estimating someone's risk based on some of these known factors. And so we can kind of input some of that information into a little, some statistician somewhere created a calculator for us. And that will give us a breast cancer risk. So we're going to share that with your audience that they can, um, hopefully they can kind of look at that themselves and put their own information in there. And if they find that there's an increased risk, again, that's something that then they can discuss with their provider. Do we need additional screening based on that, that test? Um, and, and, you know, what, what else can we do? So we'll, we'll talk about that. But one of the things that I like to educate my own patients about that, again, I don't feel like it gets enough information out there is breast density. So this will be something that if you've had a mammogram, you will see on your report. Now I will say this, I shall change this. Most people will see it on a report It is currently not a U.S. guideline that all in all states do not report this. So it's, I think it's was it 38 states currently will report your breast density on a mammogram as of next year in 2024 of September. It will be a national guideline that all states must report your breast density in a mammogram report. I like to tell people you cannot tell by looking at someone. You cannot tell by your own self-breast exam. I cannot do it on a breast exam. Tell someone how dense their breasts are. It is based on mammograms. Um, so it's looking at the percentage kind of of how much of the breast tissue is kind of fatty versus how much of it is made up of some of this like fibrous glandular duct tissue, that kind of stuff. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a recommendation of kind of percentage wise. Um, and so that, that radiologist will give you that score and it's a letter. It's either A, B, C, or D. And A is kind of the, has the most fatty versus some of those other tissues. And as we go up to D, D is the most dense breast. So they have less percentage of that fat. Um, and unfortunately, what we know is that about 10% of women are A, 
about 40% are B. And then when we get to C and D, these are both considered groups that are, have higher breast density. So C and D, C is about 40% of women and D is about 10. So about 50% of women have increased breast density on a mammogram. And the two things that I like people to understand about that is if it's on your report, usually there's like a little notation at the bottom that says, by the way, increased breast density increases the risk of breast cancer. And it also makes mammography slightly less sensitive to finding breast cancer. So we have a slightly increased risk and we also, it's harder to find it now using a mammogram. I like people to understand that because then that can also then open that conversation to, okay, some of these things we can't change. We want to be aging, right? That's a good thing. Aging is good. Um, you know, there's some things that we can't change about our, you know, when we had our first period or some of those other risk factors that come into play. But there are things that we can change. Obviously, we've talked a lot about alcohol. Um, the other two that I really start counseling patients about at that point are exercise, so movement and really incorporating a lot more physical activity into their life. And then we also talk about obesity or being overweight. And this is especially a risk factor in women that are postmenopausal. So after menopause, definitely that waking, which happens for a lot of women because of some of those hormone shifts, it's very common to start kind of gaining weight, but it does then increase their risk of breast cancer. So we want to talk through that and see, again, if we can help um, with ways to help them lose weight in a healthy way um, to reduce that risk. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety, and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi's being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. And so in terms of breast density, right? You're saying 50% of women have those denser breasts. Does that mm -hmm. just, it's just the way you're born, the way your yeah. breasts form? Okay. So there's... It's believed to be. I actually looked because there have been some studies about alcohol and breast density. Does like, does drinking more increase the density? And there were a few that was like suggested that it could. Um, And is that, you know, there's lots of ways that alcohol can increase cancer. Is that another? Um, So there's a potential, but the studies weren't as conclusive. So I would say that the, yeah. the evidence still, we don't have enough of those yet too. Um, But I would say it's kind of plus minus. But yeah, some of that is how you're built. Um, You know, that can also be maybe some genetics there and same thing, kind of what's you're made up of your breast tissue, but it's not something you can really change very much. Um, So, it's so kind of, if you get that 
designation. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be the next step? Because your doctor may or may not recommend it. Is it like an MRI or or what's the next thing you should advocate for? Yeah, that's a great question. So that, unfortunately, we don't have an answer. <laughs> so sadly, um, and it, that's where it's going to be probably personalized care. So this is where some of these other tools come into play. Because what we would do is we would identify what are some of those other, uh, other risk factors. So that is looking at things like your family history. It's looking to see, have you had an abnormal... Um, like a, a basically an abnormal mammogram before? Have you had a breast biopsy? Some of those other things are in that tool that I told you about. So that information goes in there. And then we have the dense breast issue. And then they can decide, okay, what should we do for this individual patient? Um, sometimes it could be an ultrasound. Sometimes it could be a breast MRI. Um, but we don't have a guideline yet about like there's no protocol. There is no guideline. Like if you have this, we do this. Unfortunately, we don't have it. And I can tell you, so personally, I'm in the C category. Um, and no one even talked to me about it. Um, and like kind of was like, okay. So I did my own little risk tool. I kind of, you know, was like, okay, what, 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 what do I, you know, where am I on this spectrum? Um, but the problem is because there's not protocols or there's not like a definitive answer, like, we should do this every six months and this, this, or for this group of people. So sometimes it's even looking at, you know, that's the hard thing with breast cancer. There's, there's actually multiple types of breast cancer. And then there's different data based on whether someone's pre or post. And then there's different data on race. And like, there's a lot, there's a lot of different. And so, so I think it's going to probably end up being kind of more individualized. Um, but what we say is, you know, like there isn't like a set protocol and because there's not a set protocol. Unfortunately, a lot of insurances are not going to pay for it. So even if you determine that you're like, hey, you know, I may want some additional screening here, you know, it's not a guarantee because there isn't a protocol for it yet. Oh, I hate that so yes. much. I hate that so much. I do too. Is, <laughs> yes. Question for yes. you about risk. Okay. So I know you're not my doctor, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> um, so if I did drink the way I drank for many, many years, and I quit seven and a half years ago, should I talk to my doctor about like, all right, I now know this information about alcohol's risk on breast cancer. We may want to look at, at me more closely or get mammograms more often, or is that not something I need to do? Yeah, it's, that's, it, would be, it would be a difficult question to answer. We yeah. know it would have increased your risk. Right. But we don't yet know. And again, for an individual, I would say that you probably should put your information into that tool as well and then have that discussion with your provider and say, you know, what would be kind of the recommended screening? Because, again, that's going to be based on a lot of other factors individually for you. But I also think for you to be hyper vigilant, I also tell women this all the time. Same thing. The guidelines have kind of even changed about self breast exams. Yeah. You know your body the best. If you think there is something wrong, do not stop at one person telling you, no, don't worry about it. Keep yeah. going. Um, I hate those stories of people that are not listened to. And then you find out like, oh, God, you know, this, this something didn't get, you know, checked out. And sure enough, it was something a problem. So I think that's the other part of this is there are tools and they, you can definitely talk about that kind of individualized approach. But also, you know, for you to be vigilant now, you know about that. If you are doing exams, um, I never find- do exams. No, I mean, like, okay. I'm so like, if you, yeah. but <laughs> so learning, I think it's very important to be an advocate for yourself. I Part know. of that I haven't is- done a breast self exam like maybe three <laughs> times in my entire life, and it's not because like I don't want to touch my breasts. I'm just mm-hmm. like I don't fucking know. Yeah. <laughs> Part of that is 
learning what's normal for you though, right? So there's a lot of people that'll be like, you know, I have really lumpy breasts and it kind of freaks me out. Um, I really don't want to. And then that's okay. I mean, same thing. You may want to then just talk to your provider and be like, hey, you know, I'd prefer, I don't want to be the one doing this. Maybe it makes you too anxious, things like that. You know, are, are you willing to kind of help me with this? Um, that's Those are conversations we, we have all the time with people. But I also think, you know, you know your body the best. Um, changes even in the skin of the breast, things like that. Those are things that you want to do not wait and do not, like I said, do not take no for an answer, um, get it evaluated. And so you talked about the tool and I think you're going to give me the link so I can put it in. I'm going to give you the, the show notes and maybe you can also give me a link to like how to do a self breast exam that I can put in the show notes. So what's the name of the tool you're mentioning? So it has a couple, um, there's, there's two names that you might see if you Googled it. So it's, um, the breast cancer risk assessment tool. Of course, there's always an acronym in everything in medicine. So it's BCRAT. So like almost like breast cancer rat, but it's breast cancer risk assessment tool, or it's also known as the Gale model, uh, G-A-I-L. And it was after the person that developed it. So okay. um, either one of those, if you Google those, you'll be able to find it, but I'll give you the direct link um, so that people can can input that. Perfect. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Oh, sure. Sure. All right. So we talked about no family history, 85% don't have family history, you know, and still develop breast cancer. So that's not something that that women should, should automatically stop and be like, Oh, but I don't have family history. This is not something I need to worry about. Yep. Yeah, the idea as women, we all need to worry about it just by virtue of having breasts. (laughs) Yes, that is correct. Yeah. And then the alcohol link, which we've talked yes. about extensively. Sorry, guys, but it is good information that it absolutely increases your risk and, and you should be aware of that and, and cut down or consider since you're listening to this, cutting it out entirely. Right. Alcohol free life is awesome. Breast density, looking at that and figuring out from your mammogram or talking to your doctor about whether you're A, B, C, or D, 50% of women have more dense breasts, um, which increases the risk of breast, breast cancer and also makes it harder to find. Right. Doing self-breast exams, I got to get on that. <laughs> Using tool, exercise, movement, being overweight, postmenopausal, what else that that we need to know? Let's see. So I think, um, I know what I can do is also share, there's another handout for you that I can share yeah. that's, um, so it was from lifestyle medicine and it talks about some of these tips kind of for, for breast cancer. Um, we don't have as much data on like specifics. Um, like, you know, we talk about foods and nutrition and things like that, but I'm a big proponent in a few things, obviously for a healthy diet. Um, really kind of reducing kind of processed foods in the diet in general, but also really it's more of what we want to encourage people to take in, which I would say for cancer, whether it's breast cancer or other cancers and just overall for overall health, it's fiber. Um, that's another thing I would scream from the rooftops. We got to get more fiber in our diet. So lots of fruits and vegetables. Um, there are some amazing, what we call phytochemicals. So there's things that we, you know, when we eat a certain food, there's things like, you know, obviously most people know about calories, but there's other things like vitamins and minerals, right? But there's 
other things that are packaged in there called phytochemicals. So these are kind of unique pigments that usually there's different ones, usually for different colors. And that's why when we talk about eating the rainbow, we're not talking about Skittles. We're talking about, <laughs> we're trying to talk about, you know, really making sure we're getting these different colors of fruits and vegetables in our diet throughout a week. So we really want to look at that. That's important because some of these phytochemicals actually help our body fight cancer, fight disease. And then we're also getting this beautiful package of usually those foods are low calorie. They are lots of vitamins and minerals, and they also have a lot of fiber. So if you are going to try to do anything, I would just, that's one of the first steps I work on is not so much taking stuff out. First, I talk about let's get some of the stuff in, right? So we want to encourage a lot of these healthy foods in the diet. So that would be and does it else. make an actual big difference, right? Because I know with the red wine, it was the idea that the skin of the grapes increases, you know, heart healthiness. And people are like, yeah, you would have to eat that. You have to eat a ton that. of it. Uh, yeah. So it's like funny. in terms of fruits and vegetables and eating the rainbow and fiber, like how much of a difference does it make and how much do you need to eat? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know if I have the the answer off the top of my head for like a stat for that. Um, yeah. But I usually tell people like there is for most Americans, like I would say, I think 98% of us are considered fiber deficient, um, that we don't meet the standards. Um, and so the standards really, the, the higher, again, kind of the higher you go with that, usually the, the more benefit you get. So for most people, they're not even getting to that like five servings of, of fruits and vegetables today. So that's kind of like a day. That's the, kind of the first place we try to get people. Um, I really tell them kind of optimal is probably nine. Um, so that's where we're trying to eventually get people to. So I usually encourage when I work with patients one-on-one, -on -one, I, so again, I'm not a big like counter. I don't find that super helpful. A lot of people don't like that. Um, I don't like eating to be stressful. So I usually just say like wherever we can, whenever we have a meal or a snack, let's just add a fruit or vegetable into it. So, um, it just, you know, just to get into that mindset, because a lot of people, they get, you know, when I do their little history, that's like, the vegetables only come at dinner. Like, it's very yeah. interesting when you're like, you see their breakfast, and then you see their lunch, we might have some fruit in there. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, and I have like, a meat and two, right? And like, that's the classic, yeah. you know, two, I two vegetables, and one of them is the starch. And you're kind of like, okay, so um, that's something that we work on is like, can we increase some of these kind of vegetables throughout the day? Um, so so that's what I would say is just generally, general speaking, more is better. Um, but they have looked at that in breast cancer and they do feel that increasing fiber is protective um, for heart, for, for breast health. But without question, things like colon cancer, which is also on the rise in younger people, um, 100%, these, you know, these things in our diet make a difference. Um, yeah. And I think the hard part with diet is that we don't, you know, it, food comes in a package, right? So there's, there's a lot there that we're like, okay, well, what makes the difference? Is it, we always want to like dissect everything. So it's like, well, was it the fiber or was it the phytochemical or was it the fact that now this person got a lot more magnesium? So it's, and it's hard to dissect that in food studies when we do them. So we just kind of know like more fiber is, is better and more fruits and vegetables are better. Yeah, <laughs> so that's what I, I would say. I totally get that. What about like a fiber supplement or something? Does that help at all? I don't think that's a bad idea, but what I tell people is that's the, that's the, <laughs> the icing on the cake is what I like to use. You know, like, yeah. um, we still have to have the basics. Um, and, yeah. and be, and for that reason is because the fiber supplement is just the fiber. The, yeah. the food has that package. It has All the good stuff. Right. Yeah. It has that. And it, but also when you think about it, when you're incorporating more of those healthy foods in your diet, what are you automatically doing? 
you have less room for the less healthy things in your diet. Yeah. So that's the other thing is we want to think about is like when we fill our plate with two thirds of it are kind of fruits and vegetables and some of those other things, we're filling up our stomach with things that are really healthy for us. And we're naturally, so we don't have to be like, oh, you cannot eat this, you know, yeah. it's more because that doesn't usually work very well. So we're focusing on more what we should be getting. And that's going to naturally just help us eat less of some of those foods that we just really don't want to have as much of in our diet. So I think it kind of works from that angle too. But yeah, I don't mind someone taking a fiber supplement if that helps them to get to that goal. But it does, I tell it never takes a place of the food. Uh, so yeah. we always want to do yeah. food first. Got it. Good information. Um, what else can people do to sort of reduce their risk, take care of themselves specifically related to breast cancer? So some of the stuff hasn't been studied as well, but I'm a big believer that I, I do think so when we think about cancer, we all have basically cells that can become cancerous. Um, and our body, thankfully, most of us have an immune system that can help kind of counteract that. Unfortunately, people that develop cancer, that doesn't, that mechanism doesn't work as well. And that's sometimes what leads to that. So there's a lot of different things that can cause that. But I do believe that for a lot of people, you know, we do know studies about, okay, what can impact immune health. So that's something that, again, we don't have like a specific stat that says, well, you know, need to do this to reduce the risk here. But I just generally talk to people about some of the other pillars of lifestyle medicine, which Again, across the board, this reduces for, for not just breast cancer, but cardiovascular disease, all those things. So it's also things like working on stress. So stress reduction techniques, right? Stress does not do good things when we're in chronic stress mode to our immune system. We know that. Um, there's actually studies that have looked at people, wounds don't heal as fast when people are chronically stressed. That's your, that's your body's ability to heal. If, yeah. So it's, I mean, it's pretty powerful when you see things like that. Um, you know, we know that. So sleep is the other one that is totally not talked about uh, enough. Um, and it's so important. And so many people, again, that's almost like, you know, badge of honor to be like, oh, you know, I just pushed through. I didn't, you know, I just decided to stay up late and get my work done. And you're like, well, you know, there's a lot of things that happen in our sleep that are actually active, that are really important for our health. Um, so it's not wasted time at all. It's and, and, and if anything, it usually helps to be more productive. But it's critically important for things like your immune system to sleep um, and to sleep well. So, yeah. you know, there's other aspects of our life. And that's where the alcohol, you always circle back to that, right? So, you know, alcohol has the direct effect because it is a carcinogen. It affects sleep. We know that it affects yeah. uh, sleep quality. Um, it also affects your immune system. It affects your gut health. Um, we know that too. And there's all these different, you know, studies coming up about gut health and our microbiome and alcohol is not good for that either. So, you know, we always have to kind of come back to all these different how, and that's why I love integrative medicine is it's always looking at the big picture. How do all of these things connect and how can we really kind of optimize our body's health, healing, well-being? Um, and it's so, it's so critically important. Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it, or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step -step coaching framework 
I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one -on -one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step -step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. Yeah. And it spikes your cortisol, you know, the yes, stress it does. as well. So um, I think even a single glass of wine uh, decreases your sleep quality by 27% I've mm -hmm. looked at and anything, you know, two glasses or more decreases your sleep quality by 40%. So most women listening to this or certainly at one time or another have had those awful 2 or 3 a.m. wake-ups where your anxiety is just surging related to drinking. Mm -hmm. But even if you haven't, even if you're drinking one glass a night, two glass a night, it will interrupt your sleep or decrease your sleep quality by a big amount. Yeah. And so we didn't talk about those. We kind of talked about, but those would be two myths that I would definitely kind of counsel people about with alcohol specifically is one, a lot of people use it to really, they think it's helping their stress. Uh, yes. And then I say, no, it's not. Um, it really isn't. And then secondly, they, a lot of times they'll say they use it to help them fall asleep. And then I say, it may help you fall asleep, but I guarantee you, you are not sleeping. It's the restorative sleep is not the same. Um, you are not typically getting that stage three and four sleep, which is where all the good stuff's happening. Um, yeah. so no, uh, those, those are two more myths that we could add to the list of, you know, things that people really kind of think about with alcohol, but really the reality is it's not true. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I, I was definitely in the category of thinking it helped me sleep and relax. Yeah. And then was going to my doctor going, Oh my God, I have insomnia because my job's so stressful. I wake mm -hmm. up at 3 a.m. and stressed right. out. So asking for medication to help for that. Um, and you know, for a while I was truly oblivious. Like I did not know that alcohol mm -hmm. was causing those wake ups. So again, when you know more, you're able to make better choices and it'll also shift your beliefs about what alcohol does for you and how it helps you. Mm -hmm. And that'll help you make more informed choices, or at least when, when you do wake up at 3am, or you're like, Oh, this is because of the alcohol. And mm -hmm. even that awareness will just shift the way you think about your drinking, which will help you make better choices. But the other thing is, I mean, I 
um, you know, was out to dinner with one of my best friends who loves her red wine. We used to drink together a lot. And she's always talking about eating healthy. She's talking about all her exercise. And, you know, she was having red wine. And I happened to mention that three glasses a week increases your risk of breast cancer by 15%. And she literally was like, no way. I don't believe you. That's not true. And I was like, my entire job is studying alcohol. So I can tell you it is true. But you know, whatever. I can give you the link to the study. Because obviously, like I said, I've had people email me for it. So if you want that in the show notes, let's give them the study so they can look at it themselves. (laughs) So even if you guys don't normally check out the show links uh, or the show notes, I always put a lot of stuff, great stuff in there, especially on my website, because I have more space. But definitely go there for the tool to um, assess your breast cancer link. Uh, I am going to do that. I'm going to do that right after I get the link and I encourage you to as well. But there will be a lot of really good information in here. So um, I appreciate Stacy, you sharing those with me. Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to help. Like I said, that's what I would love for. I'd love for this information to really get out there and for people to be talking about it and yeah. for people to be talking about it with their healthcare provider as well. And I know a lot of the work you do um, on your website, you've got free video trainings on strategies to help breast cancer thrivers reduce the risk of reoccurrence and minimize the side effects of treatments, which I think is really um, interesting. And you talk about things missing from breast cancer survivorship care. Um, so if you are going through treatment, if you are a survivor, um, definitely go to Stacy's website. Will you tell us what that is? Sure. It's Thriving ABC. So it's after breast cancer is an abbreviation for that. So thrivingabc.com. Um, and I have some, like she said, some free resources on my website that really can help. Um, and I do have that video training, which just really explains more because a lot of people don't even understand what survivorship is um, and what should be happening in survivorship. So um, that training goes into a lot more details about that. And then I kind of explain how I complement what I do is with what the oncologist does. And so their role is typically, again, to be the expert in treating your breast cancer. They kind of have that disease focus, essentially. Um, My focus is on that person's wellness um, and recovery and healing. So it's two very different things, but hopefully together they kind of add up to really helping these women, you know, feel a lot better. And I think that's, I'll throw another myth out there for you. A lot of people, uh, unfortunately, they get diagnosed, they go through a lot. Um, They go through surgery potentially and chemotherapy, maybe, maybe radiation, um, sometimes plastic surgery. There's a lot of, of hurdles to get through. And then what happens is the expectation for a lot of these patients and even for their, you know, their, their people in their life. So their neighbors and their friends is like they ring that bell and they're done their treatment. And then all of a sudden it's over. Mm -hmm. It's not. It is so not. Um, these women do not feel well. Um, they have a lot of short and long term side effects. Um, you know, and this is an area that at that moment, they start not seeing their doctor anymore. Like, you know, the oncologist might be like, okay, I'll see you in three months. And that's Mm -hmm. when all of a sudden a lot of the questions come. And they, you know, and unfortunately, a lot of times emotionally it kind of hits because they've just had, you know, it's just appointment, appointment, just getting through the day. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, 
you know, some of the questions are, well, what can I do? Like, I don't want to just wait three months. Like, I want to have a role in this. Like, I want to help. If there's a chance or something I can do to reduce this risk of it coming back, I want to do it. Um, so they want to know more about that, but they also want to feel better. And I think that's the other expectation is like this active treatment date ends and they're like expecting to be back to where they were before and they're not. Um, some of these women are on medications for 10 years that are hormone blockers that have a lot of side effects. Um, and that can cause a lot, a lot of problems. And so that's my role is to kind of help support that journey um, for them and just be another source of support and help. Yeah. And I think that's really important for people to understand. And I'm talking about myself as well, because I do know a lot of friends who are either going through treatment or have been through treatment. And I think it's just natural in our society to want to absolutely be there for people when they're going through sort of a crisis time period. Mm -hmm. I mean, you do the food train and everybody volunteers and you visit them and drive them to appointments. But once you're quote unquote, you know, cured, done, you know, in remission, you're just like, all right, great, you're good. And you move on to the next thing in your life right. um, without checking in and without seeing what else is going on, especially emotionally. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the problem is usually that's what happens is socially their supports. Like you said, a lot of that stuff just kind of stops because people just have that assumption that like, oh, they're, you know, they're done that. Right. Um, but it also happens in the healthcare and space. So like all of a sudden they're kind of like, yeah, we don't, we don't need to see you for months. Um, and, and then these women are just kind of like, what just happened? You know, like this is, this is not okay. And they need, they need a lot of help. Um, it's not over. Um, yeah. And it's ne unfortunately, it's never over. And I think that's some of the other the research shows is that, you know, the fear of a recurrence doesn't go away. Um, generally speaking, that, that is something that no matter kind of how far out we look, um, a lot of women are still dealing with that, um, that, you know, obviously that and like I said, that that's why I know that giving that diagnosis is, is a is a change um, forever that you are now frightened about your health for the future. Yeah. So yeah. And I want to, um, for myself, just just validate or disprove some belief I have. So um, I my dad had uh, pancreatic cancer, my best friend had uh, brain cancer, unfortunately, they both passed away. It's my impression that breast cancer is um, treatable. I mean, obviously, not in every case, but the the survivorship rate or um, your ability to come through it, depending on when you're diagnosed, is much higher than those other types of cancers, which can be incredibly deadly. And I'm not a doctor. So will you tell mm -hmm. me if that's true? Yeah, or so not? I would say that there is some truth to that statement. Obviously, it is dependent on stage. Unfortunately, there yeah. are some women that at diagnosis are diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, and then their survivor rates are, are much lower than someone that's maybe, let's say, stage one or something like that. So there's always going to be that kind of difference based on staging and things like that. But yes, people with kind of early stage, um, stage one to the, the success rate in treatment is quite good. But what I would say is, and this is, I'm speaking for them, and I really, I, I'm not a breast cancer survivor, let me say that, but just having worked with them, I will say this, um, is that Again, treating the cancer is just one part of the battle. So, um, and understanding that, that again, that the, there may be side effects that they will have lifelong because of that treatment. So yes. So maybe sur surviving 
is not the same as thriving. Uh, and yeah. that's where that yeah. difference comes in. But yes, you are correct. So certain diagnosis, um, obviously you mentioned like pancreatic cancer, some of those definitely, this, if you looked at the stats and kind of compared them, there is a higher mortality rate with those cancers. Yeah, that is great to know. And I, I fully buy into what you're saying and the amount of support um, women need who are moving through this and who have moved through this. Uh, I think the work you're doing is incredible. Um, I am really excited for people to listen to this episode. I know it may not be what you want to hear, but the more you know, the better you can take care of yourself. And also, it's really great to know that there are resources out there like you, like the work you're doing. So after you've gone through breast cancer, having that support and survivorship care and, you know, strategies you can use to thrive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's really important. And I'm glad that you had me today and we're willing to talk about this. I mean, it's just such an important topic. Unfortunately, there's still a lot of inequalities um, that exist. And definitely, I think women still, the care for women is still not where it needs to be. Um, and this just kind of highlights that. Yeah, absolutely. And I still have to say that I see all the time fundraisers will probably see it in October for breast cancer, for breast cancer treatment and awareness that are freaking tied to alcohol. I mean, <laughs> alcohol companies release yes. like bottles with the pink ribbon. I can't fucking believe it. Yes. Um, I will say that I've even seen a fundraiser. It was actually for a breast. It was for, I think it was something for breast cancer survivors specifically. And it was like a local thing, but the, the, the raffle was for wine. And I was like, Oh what? yeah. What? Like, I, I mean, hello, mixed messages. I mean, come on, like, let's not do this. Um, I, I mean, it blew my mind. I'm like, this cannot be happening. So obviously <laughs> we need some advisories on these, some of these things that like alcohol should not have pink ribbons. Um, it should not be associated with, you know, making money for this in any way. Um, if anything, like I said, this is something that if we educate about it, we can reduce the numbers of cancer cases in America yes. and around the world. Um, and we need to be like shouting that um, from everywhere. And again, I think enacting legislation that it people that it's on the packaging. Um, yes. You know, if we have shampoo bottles that tell us we can't put something in our stupid eye, you know, like, hello, yeah, a burned eye, you know, with shampoo in it is not quite the same as alcohol and some of these cancer risks. I mean, it's, 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 it's not like anywhere close to the same uh, level of, um, of, of risk. And I think it's something that we've, we've got to change. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So where can people find you? Where can they learn more? I know you said you gave the URL before, but, but tell me one more time. Sure. So my website is thrivingabc.com. And then on social media, I'm on Instagram at Stacy Divine MD. And then I also have a Facebook page, which is Thriving After Breast Cancer with Stacy Divine. Uh, I would love for any of your listeners when, when I do my October alcohol posts, when I get all the pushback, I would love some positive feedback on those. Um, you know, it's always nice, obviously, when you put yourself out there to get somebody that's like, thank you for sharing that information, um, rather than some of the people that hate you for it. So, um, so yeah, well, so I know we're connected share the love. on Instagram, so I will absolutely <laughs> share you. and comment yes. in a positive way. Yeah. And I think for women, I mean, I think same thing to have girls nights. This is not the time for us to, you know, when we're getting together, 
to start talking about not having alcohol in that situation. Okay. So that's, an, I know you've I've listened to your podcast. So I think, you know, that's another, that's a whole nother social thing. But I, I, that's what I would love for your audience to kind of think about is like, can we have a get together that is super fun and we get together and we support each other and like, let's not be it centered around alcohol um, for yeah. our own health. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's great. So we'll just, we'll just end there. It's great advice. Thank you for coming on. Oh, sure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit Hello Someday Coaching. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.